You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerLondon.org. I've loved this series, Ephesians, how Jesus creates a new people in a new world. And this morning, I've called it a church at war, a church at war. He says this word, finally, and this actually is the 11th out of 12. We're going to do one more next week. In fact, I just wanted to pause just for a quick moment and uh, recommend some of the books that I've used for the series. Now, you might say, oh, Pete, it's the end of the series. Yeah, I guess what I'm really saying is if you want a Christmas idea for someone, not that necessarily this is the Ephesians ones, but these are series that I would recommend for any Bible study. Uh, an easy entry one is called Straight to the Heart. That's a guy called Phil Moore. He leads a church in London and he's, oh, he's probably written about 15 or 20 of these now. And it's almost like a devotional thing. Three or four pages on a portion of scripture. Excellent. And so you might think, oh, how do I get into a bit more Bible study? You could get one of those. The other series that I found very helpful is The Bible Speaks Today. This one, The Message of Ephesians, is by John Stott. If you've been listening for the last few weeks, I've quoted him a few times. And this is really John Stott preaching through it. Again, a very good series. And, uh, you know, you might think, oh, OK, if I've enjoyed Ephesians. I'd like to study a new, another book. I'd recommend that. And this series, which, again, they're, they're, they're still writing some. And so it's not complete by any stretch of the imagination. This one's called Ephesians for You. I will be quoting Richard this morning. Um, I know Tim Keller's written some of these, Sam Albury, Tim Chester. Um, again, it's, it's a good series. And if you think, look, I'd like to do a bit of study, maybe for yourself in the morning. I'd like to get hold of another book. I would recommend any of those three. Anyway, let's pray that God will speak to us. Father, we thank you that it's not just a book. This is not just someone's ideas. We believe the Bible is God's ideas. And as we come to this, Paul sort of winding up at the end of Ephesians. Will you please speak to us by your living word? Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. As we said, Paul had spent several years in Ephesus to see the church planted and established. We can read about that in the book of Acts. Uh, it's very much a sort of hub church that was then to reach out into the whole area around. Probably spent more time there than anywhere else. Knew lots of people there. In Acts 20... Verse 29, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Paul recognised that it was going to be a challenge for the church in Ephesus. And it's interesting now that when he's writing the letter to them, he almost ends with another warning. Almost warning, stroke encouragement. Look, I recognise that it's a battle that the church is involved in a war. And he starts with these things right at the beginning. Be strong, stand, even in the struggle. Be strong. I don't know how you're feeling at the end of 2020. I'll be honest, I can feel fairly weary. You look back and it's, it's not the kind of year that I'd planned. Well, actually, I believe that this is a very clear theme from Scripture. Be strong. When Moses had died and Joshua took over the leadership of the people of God, we read in the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, 6-9, verse 6, God says to him, 
be strong and courageous. Verse 7, God says, be strong and courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I believe that God comes and wants to say that. Be strong. I don't know how you're approaching the month of December. I don't know what your dreams are for 2021, even if you dare look forward that far. I know that God wants to strengthen you. David, the greatest king, you may say, of Israel. He had a battle. He knew what it was like to be tough, uh, going through tough situations. But we read in 1 Samuel Chapter 13, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men, this was his own army, were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. They'd just lost their family. They'd been out fighting and their family were, were literally ransacked. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I want you to be strong, not in yourself. It says here, be strong in the Lord. It's his unlimited supply. You don't need to think, oh, golly, can I muster it up for another day, another week, another month? Be strong in the Lord. Some of you, that is the point. Hey, stick with me. There may be something else. But remember that. Stand. If if we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, we know that it's almost like he's taken some physical postures to speak to us. The first bit of Ephesians, he says, sit. You can read about that in Ephesians 1.20 and Ephesians 2.6. He says, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then he goes on, not just sit. I, I would do it, but I know it would get out of shot, so I'll get into trouble. He says, walk. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he says, walk in the Christian life. And now he ends the book by saying, stand. There's almost been this progression. Phil Moore, I told you about his book earlier, says this. Jesus has justified us so that we could sit. He has sanctified us so that we could walk. Now he arms us so we can stand. And this again is another biblical picture that Paul is picking up on. To Samuel, there's lots of physical fights then, but you can see a spiritual picture in it. It says the Israelites retreated. They were in trouble. It was an army situation. But Elysia stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. You've got this sort of picture. Yeah, he stood. Peter, when he writes to the church, says, Be alert and of sober mind. 1 Peter 5. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I encourage you. Come on, we are to be those that are strong and standing God. And yet also Paul is very honest and says it is a struggle. We are in a war. There's a battle going on. We have an enemy. Sometimes if I'm really honest, I think the danger is for Christians, we can go one of two ways. We can over-focus on the enemy or we can totally neglect him. I think the Bible would say the enemy is powerful, wicked and cunning. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, says the, great, the general public choose to ignore evil. It's funny, it's almost like they want to pretend he's not there. I would say this is a Western problem. 
and that many of our African brothers and sisters can help us understand. You see, Paul is writing saying that there is a battle. It's almost like the struggle. You've got to wrestle. When I was a kid, it was Big Daddy and Giant Haystack. Some of you have never heard of them. Some of you already think, oh yeah, maybe when your kids, it was um, Hulk Hogan. I mean, I could never watch those programs. Everyone said I was only acting, but oh, it used to turn my stomach, this wrestling. This is not play acting. Paul writes to his young pupil in Timothy and says, fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you the question, did you sign up to Christianity for your comfort? Because the Bible would say a passive Christian is an oxymoron. We are in a battle. And so then Paul paints this picture about the armour of God. I just want to say here, I don't think Paul's telling us to do good. He's describing the impact of the gospel in our lives. This is probably a mix of the fact that when Paul was writing this, he was under arrest. I don't think there would have been a soldier there in all this regalia, but he certainly would have been surrounded by soldiers. But not just that, the picture of a a soldier, a warrior, is an Old Testament picture of God. In some respects, the armour is of God, the armour is given by God, and the armour is God. Let's note, finally, before we look at it, that it was given to us, not to me. I so often think my danger when I read this as a sort of white Western boy is that I think of I'm the soldier and the, and the armour goes on me. Paul was writing to a church. This is most effective when we're together. The danger of lockdown is our world's got smaller and smaller and we suddenly think, oh, I'm in a battle. I've got to put on my armour. We're in a battle and we put on our armour. So let's look at this. They think the six pieces that he refers to would have been the order that the soldier would have put them on. The belt of truth. This went on underneath. Yeah, you're not looking at my belt, but I've got one on there. It keeps my trousers up. They would have had this belt so that actually they could have tucked uh, their, their loins into there. They could have also put their sword into there. It was the first piece that went on. If I say now, you've got to tuck your belt in. <laughs> Some of us think, oh, it means I've got to... Reduce my budget. I haven't got quite as much money. In those days, though, if you said uh, tuck your belt in, what it really meant was be prepared for the battle. Not reduce your spending, but tuck your belt in. Right, be prepared, be strengthened. Isaiah had promised that a saviour would come. Isaiah 11 verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And so there was this picture Oh, this is this is God in the Old Testament. Jesus then comes. He is the Son of God who who demonstrates a righteous and faithful life. And we, in this day of polarization and fake news, are to base our life and trust in the truth of the gospel. That is the belt of truth. He then goes on to the breastplate of righteousness. This was the piece of armour that literally went from the neck down to the thigh. John Bunyan in his Pilgrim Progress said, oh, it was only on the front. <laughs> there was nothing on the back. So he says, don't turn, your de- don't turn your back on the devil and run. Doesn't actually say that in here. 
We do know again Isaiah when he describes God in Isaiah 59 says he put on righteousness as his breastplate. This was this picture of God. Mm-hmm. We know that Jesus lived a life of per- perfect righteousness for us. And we trust in the rightness of Jesus when the devil wants to attack us and whisper that we're not good enough. It's not my rightness, it's his rightness. I put on his righteousness, not my own. The boots of the gospel is how I'm describing this one. I enjoy going running. And the reality is, I always say to someone, that if you want to go running, then actually you've got to spend £100 on a pair of trainers. You've got to look after your feet. Many have suggested that the victory of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar was down to the boots of the Roman soldiers. They were quick and they could cover big distances. Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. There was this sense of, come on, we're to put on the gospel, we're to go and to share this great news. We know that Jesus came to share the good news with others. We know that when he was in the synagogue and he opens the scroll in Luke 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We're also commissioned to put on these shoes of the gospel, to take the good news. Invite people to watch the carols on the 20th. Invite them to join Alpha in January because they've just got questions. We are here to take good news. The shield of faith. A large oblong. It was two pieces of wood that were literally sandwiched together, covered in linen, and then they reckon it had leather over the top. Look, I, I could get sidetracked now because I, I love this whole picture. You know, the, the Roman army used to talk about it as a tortoise and they'd all hold their shields together. And then they, they reckon that it was so strong they could literally walk through the opposing army. The danger is that we always think of the, the one shield that protected me. Now, there was one soldier that they reckon had 220 arrows in his own shield after one battle. We all like to know the exception, don't we? But the real strength of it was the unity. The real strength of our faith is when we stand together. The shield of faith. Proverbs says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge. You see, the Old Testament was painting this picture of God. Jesus came looking for faith. You think about it. When he met people, like the centurion, he commended them for his faith. And whenever he was harsh with the disciples, it was because of a lack of faith. Mm. We are to come and to walk by faith, not by sight. The helmet of salvation. It was a bronze headpiece made to protect the brain. May have had a bit of felt or sponge inside to make it comfortable. Possibly a hinged visor. There were some decorative ones for marching as well as for battle. 
Again, this was a clear Old Testament picture. We read in Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. This was a picture of the God that they worshipped. Jesus, the one we celebrate at Christmas as the saviour of the world. We believe that. And so we come by faith and trust in the work of Jesus for us. And then finally, the one he talks about here is the sword of the spirit. It wasn't a spear, although we know many Roman soldiers carry them. It wasn't distant fighting. It was up close and personal. They reckon it was sharp and two-edged. A weapon. <laughs> Let's get them right close. We know in Isaiah 49, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hands, he hid me. I believe that this is the Bible. Jesus often quoted the Bible himself when he was tempted by the devil. You can read about it in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 4, 7 and 11. Three times Jesus is tempted. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is written. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. We are to read, chew on, learn and love the word of God. The evangelist D.L. Moody says a mutilated, a mutilated Bible is a broken sword. Let's take the whole word of God. Okay, so that is the six pieces of armour that the church at war needs. Now what I find fascinating is Paul spends longer on the next thing than any piece of armour. Mm. So what comes up next? Prayer. Prayer. John Piper says prayer is a war is a wartime walkie-talkie. Prayer is not a device for ordering Uber Eats in front of the telly. Prayer is because we're in a battle and we've got to speak to our commander. And so Paul he, he unpacks prayer, and many have called it the four alls of prayer. He says on all occasions. You see, the church, when we're under attack, we can doubt our confidence in Christ. We can allow tensions to threaten our unity as a church. Paul says on all occasions, pray. He says with all kinds of prayer. Doesn't matter if they're short or they're long. It doesn't matter if they're in tongues or in English. It doesn't matter if they're with fasting or alone or with others. Come on, all kinds of prayer. It says in the ESV translation, always keep on praying. Pray and persevere. Don't give up. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. And he says, pray for all the Lord's people. Name the people at Redeemer. Pray for other local churches in healing. Cry out to God for the worldwide church. Intercede for the persecuted church. Tom Wright, uh, he does some other books as well. If you want those for a Christmas list, I can recommend them. Tom Wright says this, prayer accomplishes things that we couldn't with our own effort, organization and skill. Mm. I'll say that one again, great, isn't it? Prayer accomplishes things that we couldn't with our own effort, organization and skill. Look. Leading up to Christmas, we're going to have another week of prayer. And you might say, God, Pete, you're so busy. 
we're never too busy to pray. Sunday the 13th of December, we'll be doing a week of prayer. We'll pray on the Sunday night. We're going to do a morning one. We're going to do a lunchtime one. We're going to do the 24-hour one. Get that in your diary. Details come out tomorrow. Paul asked for personal prayer. And I find this fascinating because many of his letters, we think he wrote 12 or 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. He ends by saying to the people, look, pray for me. Remember, he was in prison, but he loved these folk. He didn't pray, though, ask for prayer for his comfort. He asked prayer for the mission. Two things he asked them to pray for. Give me clarity and give me courage. And sometimes I think that. I think, golly, look, I'd love you to pray. Pray for me. Pray for the leaders of the church. Pray that God gives us clarity and God gives us courage. It's easy to be intimidated. It's easy to back down. And then he ends with this beautiful sort of doxology or challenging them. Actually, it's more about them than God, not doxology. He says, peace, love and grace. We know that he says, oh, I'm sending you this faithful man. He started saying, look, you're faithful. Faithfulness is really important. Jesus even says, doesn't he, in that parable, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I long for God to say I've been faithful. Richard, I told you about this one. He says this, the measure of our lives and ministry is not the size of our salary or the number of our grandchildren or the turnover of our business or the size of our church but whether we have proved faithful in believing and proclaiming the mystery of the gospel for the nations, even when it hurts. Oh God, make us faithful. Mm. And then he says these words, peace, you've been reconciled to God and your neighbour. Love, God's compassion towards you. That's why we've been saved. And grace. Mm. And I love that he ends on this word grace. (laughs) I mean, look, it's a fight. The church is at war. (laughs) But actually, throughout his whole thing, he said it's grace. I wish we'd had time to go through them all. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, grace and peace to you. Chapter 1, verse 7, he says, forgiveness of sins in accordance with grace. Chapter 2, verse 5, he says, it is by grace you have been saved. Chapter 2, verse 7, the incomparable riches of his grace. Chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. Chapter 3, verse 2, it's the administration of God's grace was given to me for you. Chapter 3, verse 8, although I'm unworthy, it's God's grace. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 7, each one of you, grace has been, I want you to know the grace of God. Look, I look forward to next week and I'm going to finish the series. And you might think, hang on, Pete, I thought we've done it all. Look, come next week or tune in on YouTube and we will finish the letter to the Ephesians. I have missed working in the office. Obviously, we're all working from home. I'm not sure if the staff have missed working in the office with me. You see, I have a little habit which probably puts them on edge. Every so often, while they're all quietly working away, I suddenly walk in the room and I just shout, FIGHT! And they all jump like that. And I think, look, we're in a fight. (laughs) And I just think, partly I'm just trying to grab attention. But partly I think, oh, come on, this is what we're about. The church is in a battle. Let's not forget that. 
Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus, our captain. Let's remember grace. And when we've done everything, let's make sure we stand. Yes. Not based on our own strength, but we are strong in the Lord. Why don't you dedicate yourself to being a part of that battle and that fight? 